talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Lisa Poleski and Dave Woodard are in the newsroom. Will Weber is on the board. Will Lurskin is in the cloud. Big sloppy wet winter storm turning to snow today. That is still way better than COVID-19 and a protest on Parliament Hill. Oh. Here's Scott Thompson. There you have it. Uh, good afternoon. It's 308-900-CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, Will Weber on the board, spinning the teenage head. Also in the newsroom, uh, watching the world spin is uh, Lisa Plesky and Dave Woodard. Jump into the fun. Love to hear from you. Lots of ways to do that. Uh, whether you want to ride shotgun with us or have Will record you, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, always send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, lots of stuff going on today. Still waiting for something to move forward in Ottawa. Uh, continuing pre- pretty much what they were doing uh, there yesterday uh, in as far as handing out uh, notices and, and trying to shore things up, I guess. Um, and, and there really doesn't seem to be much change as of uh, this point in time, although you certainly do get the feeling this is a calm before a storm. And speaking of storms, uh, yeah, by about dinner time, five, six o'clock, uh, what we're seeing now is going to turn to snow. And it's always interesting, uh, in that transition period. So do be aware of that and extra care and caution, uh, on the trip home, uh, or in and around the dinner hour, uh, tonight. So, uh, oh, other uh, information out of Ottawa, the, uh, head of the police board also, uh, gone as well after the uh, the police chief. So uh, heads continuing to roll there. We'll see what happens and keep you uh, abreast. Also, Ontario moving into the next phase of reopening your restaurants uh, and gyms and such uh, back to full capacity. Uh, the vaccine passport system still in place, obviously. And uh, this is about four days ahead of schedule, four days ahead of schedule of where we were. So, um, yeah, you know, can't complain. Uh, things are still starting to go down. 1,300 142 hospital uh, visits related to COVID. That's down from 1,400 yesterday. So it continues uh, to move down, which uh, is is a great, uh, great thing. And of course, did you stay up last night and watch the women uh, Team Canada in hockey uh, win goal? Sarah Nurse doing his uh, all proud most, uh, most points in attorney. Uh, I must admit, I was up for the beginning and then I kind of passed out, fell asleep through the middle, but I did wake up for the end. Uh, I did see the last period and uh, man, it was it was a little uh it was pretty tense towards the end there uh we'll talk about that coming up a, a little later on as well uh all right what else we got oh interesting story also uh coming out that uh unvaccinated drivers from canada to the united states can go back and forth providing they are delivering covid19 vaccines or anything related medically to the covid19 pandemic so man uh yeah. So uh, anyway, we'll keep an eye on what's going on uh, in the nation's capital. And as things start to develop there, we will certainly uh, bring you abreast of all of that. 
All right, as we mentioned, uh, uh, at midnight, uh, we move to the next phase, the next stage, the next whatever it is uh, on the reopening plan uh, post-Omicron edition of, and which obviously meant uh, as of midnight, things uh, could open up uh, a little bit more, full capacity back to restaurants, thank goodness, and uh, full capacity back to gyms and such uh, as well. Arenas back to, or I think they're up to 50% now, so it'll be interesting to watch a game with at least some people in the stands. Uh, so there we go. And uh, things are slowly starting to get back to normal. And then obviously there's one more stage and uh, after that. And um, whatever's left, I guess, will open up. And March 1st is when uh, the vaccine passport becomes voluntary. So that's great news for the restaurant owners and, and, and such that have been waiting for two years to get uh, to whatever the new normal is. Tracy England is with us, owner of Tracy's Place, 592 Upper James Street in Hamilton and with us now tracy thanks for the time i hope you're well thank you scott thanks for having me so uh what does this mean for tracy's place especially with the karaoke oh we could be more excited um this is just going to bring a little bit more life and and normalcy back to uh to um our our followers and and we're just so happy um we started last night at midnight and um you know we were watching the 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 game and we were so excited. We sang "Oh Canada," you know. It was just bringing life back into the place again. So, how perfect was how perfect was that though to have these open up at twelve oh one, just in time for a you know uh, a hockey game in China in Beijing at the Olympics? I mean, what a better way to bring it all in! Absolutely, absolutely. And so, did you have many there last night for this? Um. Yes, we, what we've done was we did a big pivot and we, and, um, because of the, the protocols that were mandated, karaoke wasn't allowed. So we thought there's so much talent out there. Um, and we wanted to support local. So we started doing live entertainment every day from eight until 11. So we've been, um, we're going to do karaoke before and after because we're going to continue out the week and then we're going to go back to, um, karaoke, um, five to two every single day. So we've kind of changed things around a little bit and it's, it's nice. It's bringing different people in, but we had about, uh, 25 people through last night at midnight that wanted to sing. That's hilarious. So what's fascinating, too, and we've talked to many businesses about this, that some of the stuff that they did during the shutdowns and in, in the global pandemic, they're going to, in fact, stick and were great ideas that will be will be will be used in the future as well. Yes, my sister had a, a great innovative idea. And, you know, I'm always saying, you know, just sing, belt it out, have fun, you know, so sing like you're in the shower. So we actually created <laughs> our restaurant to look like a shower over our stage and uh, between our tables, we put shower curtains. So we came up with this fun, innovative way that really was um, beneficial and, and helped us through these um, 700 days that we've been struggling through. So um, now we can kind of pull that back a little bit, but we put ourselves on the map for that. And um, we're, we're happy just to uh, get back and, and be ourselves again. So tell me about the singing in the shower thing. So this was to get, uh, because you're up there by yourself, you could sit there. How does this work? Well, we have a little stage, and we uh, created um, kind of the old-fashioned shower curtain that you'd go yeah. inside on the stage. So, you know, you, ha- you were protected from everybody, and there was quite a distance. <laughs> so we just put a little peephole through, and you could see the words of karaoke, and people were singing like they were in the shower. So we kept, uh, um, we put a shower head over top, and <laughs> just made it fun. And, wow. um, and, and yeah, it was, <laughs> it was quite the thing. 
That's hilarious. Good for you, man. That's well. That's that. That's what. That's what keeps people coming back. So now that uh, and we talked during time, you know, to various places during various waves of this when there was open openings and then closings and such again. And and you know, again, people were sort of concerned that, uh, especially before Christmas, as things looked like they were going to open up, that maybe people weren't coming back as quick as you know everybody thought they would. I think it's kind of different now after Omicron. Do you sense a a, a difference now that people do want to come out and, and are more uh, willing to come out and less apprehensive, perhaps like before. Yeah, I, I I think everybody is just they're itching so badly. You're you're either overworked or at home and you're just bored. Um, I I think we need to 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 find a, a balance. And you know, people are just aching to get back out and and uh, feel alive again. Um, and, and just see smiles and people and, and the friendship camaraderie that they've built over the years just feels, I think people are a little lost out there. And, um, you know, walking into our establishment and many other amazing ones that are out there, they're just going to feel more alive. And uh, I, I think it's slowly coming back. You know, we're blessed that we get to have full capacity, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be at capacity. It's, uh, you know, maybe we won't have the worry of having to sit there and count, but it, it's nice just to have that freedom of, of allowing people to, to realize, you know, we are getting back to normal ways. Great to hear. Tracy England with us, owner of Tracy's Place, uh, 592 Upper James Street in the Hammer, and, of course, uh, open uh, with uh, full capacity and the karaoke's back as well. Tracy, good luck moving forward. Take care. Thank you so much for having us. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Also, the big news, uh, look around. Uh, what you're seeing outside is sort of wet mess and rain after a massive snowstorm uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, now, hope, well, not hopefully, will is eventually going to turn to snow by later on this afternoon around dinner time. To talk more, let's bring in Anthony Farnell, global news meteorologist. He is with us now. Anthony, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, doing well. Uh, it is uh, another busy day in the Weather Center with uh, all that we've had going on with the rain and even some localized flooding. And now you mentioned that transition to uh, more wintry weather, which is common at this time of year. So what is that transition going to look like, Anthony? Is it going to be uh, quick from one to the other? Or is it going to be drawn out? Because we all know as rain slowly turns to snow, there's that period in the middle, which can be pretty uh, pretty dicey. Are we going to see a lot of ice and in, in, in frozen pellets and, and such, or will it turn to snow quite quickly? I think it's going to turn to snow pretty quickly, and that's going to happen between now and, say, dinner time. So in the next couple of hours, we're going to get uh, perhaps a period of ice pellets, maybe a brief uh, amount of freezing rain, especially up over the slightly higher terrain, Hamilton Mountain. But uh, if you're looking over towards the Niagara region, that's where freezing rain may last a little longer and, and we'll get some ice accretion. But I think this is going to be mostly snow from here on out. And it's going to really start to add up after about, 6 p.m. through midnight tonight and that's when the uh, the vast majority of that snowfall comes down and then the plows will be able to get out and uh, as the temperature drops right into the morning commute tomorrow i'm just hopeful that uh, that they'll be able to do do their work before everybody hits the roads now will all the areas around the golden horseshoe uh will will they eventually all turn to snow or will some stay rain and miss this snow event yeah, I think the rain and that freezing rain potential as you head east 
towards St. Catharines, uh, the Niagara region, uh, there's going to be more of that mix. So that's going to limit accumulations, uh, although it's, it's not going to be easy driving by any stretch by late tonight. But uh, it, it's all snow for, for places like Hamilton, back towards Brantford. And then once you get into the Halton Hills, uh, perhaps a little bit more accumulation where they're already getting that mix with snow. So uh, it is coming. This is the second wave of, uh, of a two-system front that's moved through, uh, kind of like we saw a couple of weeks ago. But this time around, uh, that snow will be heavy on the back end. And uh, initially, it's going to be tough to shovel a slushy mess, of course, with puddles and and uh just inundated backyards and parks so all of that's going to mix together and by tomorrow morning become a, a well concrete block because uh, we'll be at about minus nine with a minus 18 wind chill and that's going to blow the snow around as well so uh it's it's been crazy from the warmth yesterday and this morning to to now this return to to winter weather so obviously around dinner time as you said it should turn to snow how long is the snow going to last when will that taper off it's going to taper off around 3 or 4 a.m. Now, there may be a little bit of enhancement as we have northerly and northeasterly winds coming across uh, Lake Ontario. So that's mostly east of Hamilton that uh, the snow may linger till 5 in the morning. But, uh, yeah, this is going to become increasingly light and fluffy as it cools down. And that means it's going to blow around uh, into the morning commute tomorrow. And there's another clipper coming, actually, early Saturday morning. So we may add another two to four or five centimeters to, to that snowpack. Well, I was going to ask you, Anthony, if, that's the, if this might be the last one. But no, it's the middle of February. Oh, no. That's highly unlikely, isn't it? <laughs> highly unlikely, especially when, uh, when I look at some of the medium and long-range computer models. They uh, have this battleground set up across the province uh, through next week. There's potential there at least for a little bit more ice and snow. Uh, and then the following week, cold and, and stormy. So uh, we, we knew it would be a, an active winter and there'd be lots of snow chances. And uh, it looks like it's going to continue well into the month of March. So how much by the time we're finished here in the Hamilton area and how does it compare to the last one? Yeah, I think 15 centimeters is, is a good mid-range. We may see some totals closer to 20 up over the higher terrain. Uh, it all has to do with that that transition, how fast it happens in the next two, three hours. And uh, then we look at those snowfall rates and ratios. So if the first two hours of it melts on contact you start to limit those totals but yeah i'm thinking 15 centimeters and that that is comparable to to the last event but that occurred over a longer period of time this is going to be a, a five or six hour thumping and then after that it's back into colder temperatures so it's not going anywhere yeah, it's not going anywhere, although we are going to warm up. I think Sunday and Monday, both days are, are a couple of degrees above freezing. So we'll start that melt process all over again. And uh, I'm just looking at some of the, well, some video of some of the waterways that have ice jams on it. And I know the Grand River, uh, Humber River credit have had some minor flooding. So that's all going to freeze solid again because, uh, yeah, it's going to be quite cold winter like uh, for Friday and Saturday at least. All right, Anthony Farnell with us, Global News Meteorologist. Make sure you're watching Global Tonight for more on all of this. Anthony, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You too. Take care. All right, so uh, there you have it, uh, the rain that we've been getting. And, man, you know, like, uh, it's, 
on top of the two feet of snow we got uh, there back, uh, what was it, January? Yeah, about a month ago, January 17th. Uh, so, you know, if you are uh, out and, you know, you're one of those uh, people that likes uh, working with shovels and uh, spades and heavy equipment and stuff, uh, heavy bars, uh, you might want to go out and just check the gutters and make sure that everything's open so, uh, you know, when this does freeze, we don't end up with, uh, well, uh, more places to skate on our on our roadways. So, obviously, what's going to happen is uh, the wet uh, precipitation that we're getting, and it's coming down pretty good. Not only is super saturating the water, uh, uh, the ground rather, then everything is going to freeze. So, uh, and then turn to snow around uh, 6 o'clock tonight and continue till about uh, 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, could see anywhere from 15 to 20 centimeters, depending upon which elevation you are at. And as Anthony said, ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. It's only February 17th. Uh, and as he said, there's a couple more of these on the horizon. So uh, don't you be putting the skis away yet. Don't be putting the snowblower or the shovel away uh, yet. That's for sure. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right. Uh, obviously, been chatting about what has been uh, happening in Ottawa, specifically after uh, the police chief resigned and and RCMP and OPP and the Ottawa police have sort of uh, united and become a a, a, um, a command central, so to speak. And the interim police chief uh, is been hold, has been holding a news conference uh, for the last few minutes, and I I almost hate to uh, bring Amanda in now because I know I'm pulling her away from this uh, as she's I'm sure wants to be paying attention to it. Amanda Connolly's with us, senior political reporter with Global News and is with us now. Amanda, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you for having me. Yes, it has been a very busy day here in Ottawa. And again, we're, we're watching for kind of constant updates here as the interim police chief, as you mentioned, is giving us an update on the state of the effort here. I hate to pull you away from this at this point, uh, but what, what can you tell us about what's been happening in the last few minutes? What's the chief's message here? So his message to the people who are still gathered here in the convoy blockade is that your time is up, effectively. He's making that very clear in the presser here, telling them that this protest is now at an end, uh, saying that there are now roughly 100 checkpoints set up within a secure area here in the downtown core, uh, where police are going to be restricting access to residents with what he called a lawful purpose for being in the core. Uh, again, just as context for, for listeners, uh, the downtown core here of Ottawa, yes, it is the downtown of the capital. It's also highly residential. You have tens of thousands of people who live here in condos, in low-rises, in uh, standalone houses. And so it really is a mix of that uh, that kind of um, very vibrant population here. And certainly uh, police saying they, they know that the presence of police officers on the ground here uh, in the, the major ramp-up that they're calling this might be dis- distressing to some folks here, um, but that they are saying again and again, the time for demonstrators to leave is now. Yeah, that was an interesting point. I, I read that uh, they, uh, citizens may see stuff that they're not necessarily used to. Any idea what that means? Yeah, that sparked uh, quite a few questions when Steve Bell, the interim chief, made that comment last night, effectively saying that, you know, this yes, this is a protest city. We are used to protests here in Ottawa, uh, but that residents should expect to see some some things that they're not quite used to here in the city. And so uh, it's really not clear at this time what he meant by that, whether he was referring to some of the checkpoints that we're seeing being set up here as well or additional resources or tools the police might be thinking of using. They've kept their plans and the strategy here, um, whatever they have, very close to the chest, including federal ministers who 
were asked about this today several times, saying they don't want to jeopardize any operational details of what police are working on. And so, again, all of this coming really as tensions in Ottawa, you can cut the tension here in the air with a knife. The entire city really is kind of on a blade's edge, waiting for some kind of an update or progress here um, on day 21 of this continued blockade. What do you think the objective of this uh, news conference is right now and the timing of it all? What do you think it all means, Amanda? Uh, Is this just an update until whatever happens next? Why do you think the chief elected to, the intern chief elected to hold this news conference now? He's certainly been getting questions to that effect, effectively being asked by reporters who are there. You know, we've we've heard from you before, the people of Ottawa have heard from you before that the time for demonstrators to leave is now. Um, Why should people believe that this will be any different, that you're actually going to act now? Effectively, he's he's been asked that. Um, Bell's response effectively has been, well, take a look outside and look at the checkpoints that have been set up. I can tell you, I can see um, a couple of them where where I am here around uh, where I'm located in the city. And so... I think it's going to, we're really going to be looking to see kind of whether those are being um, reinforced, what kind of resources are being put in place here. But again, police certainly signaling um, more strongly and more, more clearly than they have perhaps in recent days that they are getting ready for something. We just really do not know what that will be at this time. Uh, we saw uh, earlier as well um, a, uh, a meeting of uh, the the police board and such. Uh, obviously, the police chief has resigned. Other heads to fall in this as well. Yes, the chair of the Ottawa Police Services Board, Diane Deans, was removed from her position in a vote yesterday. That was spearheaded by Mayor Jim Watson and some of the councillors on uh, Ottawa City Council who are, I, I guess you would kind of refer to them typically as folks who, who tend to vote alongside the initiatives put forward by the mayor. And so um, that move certainly caused a lot of anger at the City Council meeting. A lot of emotions that several councillors were uh, holding back tears at several points, really um, everything kind of simmering over. That was, I, I, I again, lots of people remarking they have not seen a council meeting that tense, that volatile um, ever effectively. And so really coming as, as again, tensions, um, tensions are at a high right now in the city, everything boiling over. And again, um, really a lot of questions about uh, what what's the the role of this this board is and kind of how they're factoring into any plans that might be shaping up here over the coming days. Wow. Um, and, and you have to ask, I mean, the, you know, the whole world is wondering what the heck happened here? Where where did the wheels fall off this? No pun intended. Uh, we're still seeing shots of, you know, people in hot tubs and such. Uh, and again, we're just assuming looking into a crystal ball at this stage. But if there's this many uh, police and we're hearing more that are uh, in transit and such, you got to think that in the next 24 hours, this is going to be pretty crucial. Yeah, they've certainly been signaling that they are not in, that, that police are not intending this to allow um, to to continue. Um, again, they've they've been holding that that time frame very close to their chest. But they they have certainly been referencing in their comments, "You're going to see action in the coming days." Bell saying uh, just now, "You're going to see action imminently," and so they really are kind of ramping up. Um, with potential signals or clues there in their language, although they're certainly not giving us um, as much as we might like this any kind of a clear. Um, you know, time point to mark on the calendar for when when we should be expecting any of this to really come out in force. Again, a lot of concerns right now, too, about children who are believed to yeah. be still with the convoy police saying they are trying to get the messaging out and the awareness to parents that you need to get your kids out. This is not a safe place for children to be. Again, it's hard to say at this time how many of them still remain here, but certainly that is an active concern for police.
Amanda Connolly with us, senior political reporter with Global News, downtown Ottawa. Be sure to watch Global Tonight for more on all of this. Amanda, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Stay safe. Thank you. Mood in Ottawa looks to be changing. Let's bring in Tim Powers, chairman, Summa Strategies and managing director of Abacus Data. And with us now, Tim, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Oh, I'm all right, Scott. I love that you have two wills. A world with two wills makes the world wonderful, doesn't it? It's amazing. It's like thing one and thing two. I love it. It's absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Uh, I mean, not an reference, buddy. Well played. There you go. All right. And, and, and out of love, of course. Uh, of course. Obviously, uh, the interim mayor just, or so the interim uh, Ottawa police chief, interim Ottawa police chief, uh, just gave a news conference uh, a little over, uh, or just under an hour ago, and uh, used words like, um, it's imminent and uh, this is going to change. It's going to be much different this weekend than it was last weekend. Uh, what is the mood in town today? What are your thoughts after this news conference? Uh, I, I think there's anxiousness uh, and anxiety that's uh, pervading. Uh, the truckers seem to be putting on, our, if they really are truckers, the people who are occupying Ottawa on the parliamentary precinct seem to be putting on a brave face. Uh, for downtown residents, I think they want this to end, but people sense that something is going to happen. I mean, Scott, just to tell you that it is, uh, I just got, before going on the air with you, an email from my um, son's daycare provider, and he was supposed to do a PA day day tomorrow, because, of course, many kids in Ontario have tomorrow off in advance of the long weekend. It was canceled. Interestingly, his daycare is right downtown. Uh, and uh, they were told by um, the uh, city of Ottawa that better that their facilities be closed tomorrow. So something is going to transpire in the next little while. The chief is deliberately telegraphing all of that, and uh, that that's, uh, as I say, making people nervous. But at the same time, I think the citizens of the city, particularly those in the downtown core, are keen to have this end. It's three weeks today. Yeah, uh, way too long. Um, obviously, uh, the police chief resigned a, a few days ago, and now the police services, uh, the police, uh, police board chair uh, is gone. What's happening behind the scenes here? What's the struggle here? Do we know what happened or what's going on? How well, we got here? On the, there's a couple of different things, Scott. I deal with the police chief. There's different reports that there was internal strife um, among the executive leadership team of the Ottawa Police Service when chief slowly was there. The, the CBC has reported that there were HR issues that were brewing, and um, and that may have impacted his ability to command effectively. I, that That is one report that's emerged. It's also clear that um, whatever he was doing over the last, what was it, 16, 17 days before he stepped down did not work. So that's the police chief. Um, and there seems to be more confidence in Chief Bell, who you just played a few moments ago. He's from the force. He seems to have a good rapport with the force. And he certainly is talking as if he has a game plan. As it relates to the police services board, I mean, that was an embarrassing display of civic governance yesterday. Uh, the mayor is stepping down. He's not on the board. The chair, of, the former chair of the board uh, is one of the mayoral candidates. Um, she is alleged to have hired somebody with 
which she was entitled to do as the chair of the board without an open competition. This led to a political battle for the control of the board, which the mayor won with his support of, um, of, of members on council. So as this is all happening, this unpleasant display of politics is played out, and I don't think it's making Ottawa residents feel more comforted about what's about to transpire over the next uh, 24 to 48 hours. It seems like there's two different. Are there two different opinions uh, within that board politically, or is the di- or within the rank and uh, the upper ranks, or is the the differences on how to handle this this uh, uh, occupation? I don't know if it's a, there. There seemed to be unanimity that Peter Slowly wasn't doing the job he was supposed to. I think the. The, the politics emerged on who should step in and when that person should step in. Apparently, there was somebody from the Waterloo region who was lined up to come in. That person, I believe I'd heard a few moments ago, had uh, rescinded uh, his uh, his acceptance of that job. Um, but the So I don't know if it was a matter of how to deal with it as much as the politics around where we go from here. The current mayor, who is not running again, Jim Watson, long-term mayor, argues that uh, there were politics at play as uh, some of the councillors, two of whom were involved in the debate yesterday, who are mayoral candidates, were trying to advance their political agenda. I honestly do not know what the truth is because uh, I don't, uh, I'm not as immersed in that municipal level of politics. I can just tell you as a citizen, it has not gone over very well. Uh, Ottawa, usually a pretty sleepy, but very happy town. Um, you know, it's, uh, I've, I've heard it called Pleasantville many times where not, not a lot ruffles anyone. Um, have, have the people of Ottawa been a little naive to all of this? Well, I don't think they are now. You certainly saw last week a lot of last weekend, I should say, a lot of counter protesting that was happening. Uh, I think they perhaps assumed there wouldn't be a big issue, but quickly awoke to the fact that after the first weekend, as we've went through all of this, this wasn't like any other um, demonstration beforehand. I think, look, there's going to be different commissions of inquiry into this, and it will get to the answers of those questions because the Emergencies Act has been invoked. There has to be a commission around that. Uh, and also, I think the city of Ottawa will be have announced or will be announcing that they're bringing some review of all of this forward because somebody fell asleep at the wheel on the intelligence side of this. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be in the place that we're in. I think Ottawa is going to change forever in a way, Scott, uh, become like a national capital of London or Washington where you won't have the free access you do on, on Wellington Street because um, the, the, those 18-wheelers staying there should never have happened. You know, much like it was uh, in 9-11, how things changed, yep. how things changed post 9-11. Tim Powers with us, Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director, Abacus Data, giving his, uh, his personal feelings on what it's like uh, on the ground in Ottawa. Tim, as always, thanks so much for the time. Good luck getting through all this. Try to have a great weekend. You too, Scott. Take care. Bye. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. As we get to this stage of this global pandemic and uh, day 21 of uh, what is going on in Ottawa as uh, it looks like more police coming in and they torque up to bring this to an end. It's amazing how um, what this country is thinking. And uh, the prime minister insists that we're united and then uses the vaccination rate to uh, drive that home. Uh, but um, although we may be united on getting vaccinated, it kind of falls from there. And before we uh, bring in John Wright, executive vice president of uh, Maru, 
uh, public opinion. I, I want to read you just some of these uh, key findings that uh, are, are pretty astounding. Um, uh, the results of their national survey show that two-thirds support the Prime Minister in uh, bringing in the Emergency Act and to get this thing under control, but then from there it kind of it, it goes off in all different directions as opinions differ. Uh, vast majority, 82%, say there's no way that this should have gone on as long as it has. Uh, 67% believe it's time to clear out the protesters, even if it means someone could get hurt. Uh, about half say they are proud of the way the police has handled this situation. Uh, the majority, 71%, believe Canada is an international embarrassment for not being able to run its own country. Uh, 54% say they're ashamed uh, to be a Canadian because of how uh, the, their politicians have let this get out of hand, regardless of the political stripe. 68% uh, say the politicians who have contributed have contributed or supported these protests should be voted out of office. Uh, and 56% believe that while the premiers may say it's time to lower uh, COVID restrictions, all they've done is carved or caved into the protesters and give them what they wanted, which is uh, absolutely fascinating considering uh, a lot of these uh, provinces' guidelines were already announced before the uh, protest actually started. So let's bring in John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion, and with us now. John, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yeah, Scott, I am, and uh, thanks for having me on. Boy, you know, it's been fascinating, John, uh, talking to uh, people like you who are in this business and monitoring uh, the mood of Canadians as we've gone through this global pandemic. What surprises you about the stats that we're seeing uh, coming out of this report? I think it's how deep and profound it goes beyond just the protest in Ottawa and the bridges and places across the border. I think we, we are dealing with a crisis at the moment that has uh, shaken a lot of people just in terms of how impotent our institutions are, um, the police in getting things done, and the inability for our country to kind of, you know, take things that that we should be able to deal with and resolve them. I think the the problem that we have is we've We've got a, a, a political situation at the moment who has basically worked in the politics at the margins on this issue. Mm-hmm. Canadians standing on the side have seen how, you know, the, the protesters have basically um, contained the entire country's attention for the last month. And they leave the, the table basically saying, why has it continued to go on? Because we, as as individual Canadians, would never be able to do anything like this. So. I think it's had a much more profound effect. We're, we're founded on the tenets of peace, order, and good government, and we really haven't had any of that for the last almost 30 days. It seems very bizarre because as we're seeing, uh, and you know, the, some of these were announced prior, like right after Christmas, that here's the way out. We're going to go to this stage and then this stage and then this stage and slowly protocol will drop. So as we're seeing that drop and vaccination rates go up, some of the highest vaccination rates in the world, uh, we should be celebrating. Instead, we're going the other way. How, how do we explain that? That while, you know, think we're, we're slowly getting over this and we're moving on and and people are talking about opening up that we're still beating this horse. Well, I mean, I've been doing polling for 32 years now, so I've seen a lot. And I I think one has to go back and take a look at the polling that was done in the first weeks of March of 2020, where we found that between eight and 13% would not get vaccinated period. 
Um, the poll that was done only three weeks ago found that that was at 9%. So one in 10 Canadians refuses to get vaccinated. And there yeah. may be legitimate or illegitimate reasons for doing so. When you take 10% of the entire Canadian public, which is equivalent to 3.5 million people, and you vilify them, you castigate them, you you know give them a passport, uh, say that if they don't have a passport, they can't be part of society. I mean, for all the pressures that may have seemed legitimate before, if you keep on that and then you use them as a rhetorical means for an election campaign, and after that campaign you continue, then I don't know how you can't expect some kind of blowback. So I'm not saying that the the... I'm not saying that the protesters have a legitimate beef because no. it's not my place to do so. But you can well understand that when you have that continually, even yesterday and this afternoon in the House of Commons, the same invective about it versus trying to calm things out, trying to make sure that we actually can live together and we don't have this. I, th- I think that's the propellant that's got us here. I think, on the other hand, Canadians have seen how there's been an impotence to you know, deal with it once it's got there. And I think they're deeply and profoundly shaken by the whole thing and, and by the very nature of how we do things in this country. And it seems that uh, some are quick to paint everyone with the same brush, not realizing not only are they dividing things in Ottawa, but they're dividing things in families, they're dividing things in workplaces. Can we paint everybody with the same brush here? You're either in or you're out. And it seems odd that the mission here was to get 100% of the population vaccinated, which, as you mentioned, John, is is impossible. I uh I got my first start in the political arena when I was a parliamentary intern. So, Scott, this goes back to 1980-81. And during that time, we were liberating the Constitution, which was a very, very difficult and contentious issue. And I remember in those days that the the father of uh, the current prime minister sat at a table with separatists, uh, Rani Levesque, uh, sat at a table with, with people who were very opposed to that, Peter Lougheed and others. And yet, was able to broker, you know, around a round table over a series of meetings, some consensus. And even though Quebec didn't join at the time, at least it was met with some decorum at the time. Yeah. So we haven't seen any of that. And so I think Canadians have seen the divisiveness for the last two years in any event. But to see it now focused on their institutions, I think it's got people really, really upset. Does so the prime just, minister have to admit that there is divisiveness? Because, oh again, it seems that what divisiveness? We're united. He, well, he doesn't we're, seem we're to admit united. that. We're not united. We're not united. We're, in fact, today, based on this poll, one of the most divided times we've had in our history. We have people across this country who are incredibly upset at what's going on in Ottawa because of the, the protesters, how they've done it. They're in, by a margin of eight to, t- to two, they're against what the protesters have done. They're against of how we got here and they don't know how we're going to deal with it going forward. I mean, put, I put it to you this way, and it's a great topic to, to leave uh, with your listeners. I mean, the, the majority of people in this country think that, you know, this is not going to end. It may on this issue, but what's been demonstrated is that these rigs can be weaponized for whatever type of issue you have out there. If it's, if it's not vaccinations today, it could be something else. I mean, the institution and structure of our, of our legal framework and also the police, I mean, how does it play when neighborhoods are being castigated by horns? I was even in Halifax a couple of weeks ago and they, they were blowing horns through there. And yet you see the juxtaposition of police officers dancing in the streets. 
not enforcing the law. It's having a profound effect on people who say, I don't understand this. That's why there's shame. That's why there's a concern about, you know, the international nature of this and how people are looking at us and people in France and the United States and other places are just shaking their heads. This is profound. And so it goes well beyond what we may settle in the nation's capital in the next 48 to odd hours. It goes to, we now created an ecosystem of people who are outside of the margins of our society, who are now well-funded, who have rigs that they can use, who, mm. who have put together communications, command and control centers, who have created relationships. We've created something in the last month that wasn't there before. Mm. And so the question is, where do we go from here? And I think you know, outside of the immediate, Scott, of people looking at Ottawa saying, you know, I hope those people get cleared out of there. And I don't know why they haven't to date. I think they also are sitting back and saying, my goodness, what do we do from here? Like, where are we going? Let me leave you this. There was a viral tweet that went yesterday. It was a woman who went to the Ottawa hospital and got a Quickly. ticket for parking. A ticket in Ottawa for parking yeah. at the hospital yeah. while what's going on downtown. That's bigger fish, yeah, bigger fish to fry. John Wright with his executive vice president of Maru Public Opinion on where Can uh, Canadians' heads are at this stage of uh, both the pandemic and what's going on in Ottawa. Thank you so much, John. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. So, uh, obviously, late at night, I said, yeah, 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 we got to do this, got to watch, and then I fell asleep. Uh, and then, and thank goodness, I woke up uh, in time for the third period. And by that time, it was 3-1, I think it was. All right. Uh, but at the end, uh, Team Canada, the women's hockey team, uh, victorious. And uh, take back the gold last night uh, in against the United States, which which is always an incredible uh, game between these two teams. Let's bring in uh, Sean Fitzgerald, managing editor, feature writer with The Athletic, and with us now. Sean, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thanks for having me. Also a little bit tired here. I hear. I don't think we're the. Uh, how, any idea how many Canadians would have stayed up to watch this? This is a pretty big deal last night. Yeah, I've seen some reports online of, of the audience. The average audience was somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million Canadians on CBC and TSN. Which, I mean, given the Eastern Time Zone and the fact that I think the medal ceremony uh, started so shortly before 2 a.m., that's that's a pretty solid number. Yeah, I couldn't hang on for uh, for the medal. I was doing head dips by then. So what were your thoughts on this game? Man, uh, as I said, I came back for the third period, and the last few minutes of this game were pretty intense. I mean, the whole thing was intense. The, the yeah. rivalry between these two teams, when you're watching it, you know, a colleague Bruce Arthur uh, from the Toronto Star, who's in Beijing, um, you know, I, I think summed it up pretty well, where he said that you can't breathe when these two teams play until there's a whistle. Um, mm. The forecheck was relentless. Um, the pressure from both teams was just incredible. I think, you know, the U.S. coach is, is taking some heat because of his uh, line management where he seemed to roll, you know, the top two lines with a two-pairing defense. Um, so that obviously wore down as the game went on, whereas Canada can sort of roll four lines and get lots of people, lots of ice time, so that you weren't just relying on, you know, your top six the whole way. That Marie-Philippe Poulet, as otherworldly as she is, didn't have to be on the ice every other shift. So, um, you saw this incredible speed go through three periods, um, just incredible skill, incredible pressure. And yeah, I mean, right down to the end, even when it looked like Canada might have the upper hand, um, yeah. it still ended up as a white knuckle ride down the final couple of minutes. 
Uh, your thoughts, and, and, and you know, it seemed like uh, through this whole journey, and again, this is just the depth of, of uh, the women's program now, uh, there's lots of people contributing here. There's lots of people who, who are jumping into the mix, uh, which shows just where this program is now. What about the future of this young, old players moving forward with this team? Yeah, I mean, you take a look at, you know, Sarah Nurse just set a tournament record for Canada yeah. for points. You have, I mean, Marie-Philippe Poulain is, is 30 years old, but she's she scored, this is an incredible stat, she scored seven of the last 10 goals that Canada has in a gold medal game at the Olympics. Seven of the last 10. Uh, she'll still be young enough, presumably, I mean, 34, I believe, for the next quadrennial. So she should still be able to hang around. There's there's plenty of young talent. So, uh, Sarah Fillier, um, you know, I think one of the concerns uh, coming out of 2018, when you took a look at what the U.S. did to Canada, um, you know, in that gold medal final, and you look at the elite skill that the U.S. had, and, you know, you look at the broader context of the fact that the U.S. had really been dominating Canada at the world championship level for so long that the concern was that, that maybe Canada had finally run out, that the U.S. had not only caught but now passed and that Canada would be chasing in perpetuity. But I think what, what this tournament suggests is that Canada was the deeper team that, you know, the, the Canadian development system mm. hasn't quite faltered enough yet. So, um, you know, Canada is still pretty well positioned for the next four years. Only got about 30 seconds to a minute left. Your thoughts on the men, obviously with the NHL not involved this year. You know what? This is going to be a hot take, but I think the Olympics, not necessarily hockey, not necessarily the global building of hockey, but I think the Olympics is better off not having the NHL there. It gives mm. the other Olympians who actually have to sacrifice things um, the oxygen that they deserve and the attention that they deserve, that you don't have a thousand reporters covering everything that the NHLers do, that um, you have the other Olympians getting their time in the spotlight. I thought of that as soon as Canada was eliminated, uh, which is obviously a drag. But at the end of the day, it's amateur versus professional, really, isn't it? Well, that's the other thing, too. And you, you root for the guys that, that Canada sends because they're the guys who are, you know, 100 years old or 16 mm -hmm. years old and a bunch of sort of folks in between. And, and you wanted to root for them and you did root for them. And, you know, they fought valiantly, but just came up short. Sean Fitzgerald with us, managing editor, feature writer with The Athletic, talking about all things Olympic, including uh, the success of our women's hockey team last night. Sean, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the snow. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. As I'm talking to you, I've kind of got an eye uh, towards the news coverage that's going on in regard to Ottawa. Uh, earlier on today, at about 4.30, the Ottawa inter Ottawa police chief flanked with uh, Quebec Provincial Police and Ontario Provincial Police and the RCMP said that the ending of this uh, uh, pr protest, occupation, whatever you want to call it, in Ottawa is imminent and, um, and, and you will see more uh, uniformed officers uh, on the street. Uh, we are certainly starting to see that now. Uh, in the shots that we have of Ottawa, uh, they have already uh, are already getting the snow that we are going to see uh, the rain turn to snow. They're already getting uh, reasonably heavy snow in Ottawa right now, and it certainly does appear like there are much more. Uh, there's much more a, a police presence on uh, Wellington Street and uh, walking up and down the sidewalks uh, at this point. So um, as we've talked to people on the ground, it seems to be getting uh, increasing. You can incre feel the uh, increased tension 
uh, in the downtown core of Ottawa, and uh, it does certainly look like there are uh, a lot more police than what we've seen uh, in the past. All right. We know what this is all about. We know the Emergency Act uh, has uh, been invoked, or at least they're hoping to, a vote on that coming up on Monday. To find the details, let's bring in Peter Gray, Professor of Political Science at McMaster University. He is with us now. Thanks for the time, Peter. Hope you're well. I am, thanks. So uh, give us a little lesson here, Peter. Uh, obviously, we've got the Emergency Act brought forth, but is it law yet? It has to go through the House on uh, Monday for a vote. So exactly what is the political process here? Well, I mean, the government can declare the Emergencies Act operative, and so it has been operative uh, now for you know a bit over a day, and begin to take acts under it. You know, such as the ones that they discussed around you know freezing bank accounts and also you know declaring a certain area a no-go zone. Um, you know, which they're beginning to uh, you know push more pressure around, as you just noted. Um, but under the law, within seven days of invoking it, uh, there needs to be uh, a debate in Parliament. Uh, ending in a vote to uh, determine whether the act stays in force. And so uh, that's what we're having right now. And at the end of that vote, I mean, at the moment, they say they're going to be going about five days and having the vote on Monday. Uh, if Parliament votes uh, against the government, uh, then the act, uh, the, you know, the act is no longer in force and the uh, provisions that the government has put into place uh, stop operating. So that's that's the nature of it. Uh, you know, even if they decide to keep the act in place, so, and so people vote for uh, the Liberal government ultimately in this, uh, 20 members of Parliament or 10 members of Senate can uh, sign uh, a motion saying that they want to reconsider it. And uh, again, Parliament is forced to uh, have a 10-hour debate and a vote on it. So there's a number of uh, safeguards in this law. I mean, it was brought in by the Mulroney Conservative government in the 1980s to prevent a return to what happened in 1970 with the War Measures Act, which seemed to be you know, a very disproportionate response. And so there are these safeguards to make sure that we have parliamentary debate and votes uh, on the use of this act. Since it is pretty much uh, implemented now, how significant is the vote if this could all be, say, over by Monday? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, if it was all over by Monday, then probably the vote wouldn't uh, wouldn't say that much. Uh, I mean, it, it would be a significant vote if Parliament decided uh, against the use of the Act. I mean, uh, and I think that's the nature of mo- much of the debate is whether what we're seeing in Ottawa amounts to a national emergency requiring, uh, you know, the, the invocation of this Act. Uh, you know, and this, there's a variety of different features of the Act. I mean, some of it's for like, you know, natural disasters or war or you know international incident this particular one is for a public order emergency and so you know the question is when does you know uh, a failure to uh, maintain uh, law and order uh, you know in downtown ottawa does that raise rise to the level uh, necessary to put it into place but if parliament was to say no i think that would be a pretty strong rebuke uh, to uh, mr trudeau's handling of the situation so the Emergencies Act, uh, as you mentioned, replacing uh, the former act, uh, should this be used? Is this the right time for this to be used or is it overreach in your opinion? Well, I don't know enough. I mean, part of what uh, the debate is about is that the, you know, the government has to put its reasoning uh, before the House. Um, I mean, at the moment, it would seem that, you know, the mass of the Canadian population supports the government's reading. Uh, you know, but part of the use of the Emergencies Act is that once it's, you know, it's uh, no longer in use, there will be a parliamentary commission to uh, study uh, the use of the act. That's also part of, you know, what's in the Emergencies Act. And I think it's at that point 
where, you know, when when there's a bit of sober reflection on it, uh, there may be questions about whether the government went too far. You know, clearly there's a, a policing failure here, you know, which falls yeah. on the city of Ottawa and, and on uh, ultimately the Ontario government in terms of their inability to maintain law and order in, in downtown Ottawa, you know, over the space of about three weeks. Um, but is that enough to invoke the Emergencies Act? Uh, again, I think uh, on the other side of this, there will be a chance for, for Canadians to really decide whether the government overreacted. In the heat of the moment, as is usual, you get the majority of Canadians seeming to be quite comfortable with the use of the act and wanting to see the government clear out the protesters. Uh, you know, again, with, with hindsight, uh, we may come to different uh, conclusions. Um, it seemed that nobody was really even taking this seriously till about the two-week mark, and now as we hit the three-week mark, it seems now that this is the only option left because nothing's been done to date. Um, uh, is this an exception to the rule? Well, I mean, the fact that this has been in place for, you know, about 40 years, and this is the first time using, or maybe 35 years, yeah. and it's the first time it's yeah. being used, uh, you know, as an indication. I mean, it was a pretty spectacular failure, and I think independently of the act, we should ask some questions of our different governments. Uh, you know, why was the intelligence uh, from the federal government so poor in terms of understanding what was going to happen? Why did the Ottawa police not have, uh, you know, a better uh, way of welcoming the convoy on, on you know, day one? Uh, why did the Ontario government uh, not do anything really to support the uh, Ottawa police when it was clear that they were in over their heads? Uh, you know, again, policing being a provincial responsibility. I, I mean, these are all you know, important questions, you know, in addition to, to ones about, you know, why did certain parliamentarians welcome uh, welcome this convoy, uh, you know, seemingly with open arms and, and you know, say they were glad they were there. So, you know, those, there'll be those political questions they asked, but I think we should also be asking broader questions of our governments about, you know, why did they, they allow this to happen? What were the failures in their public order responses that, you know, lead us to the use of an act, which again, is is a pretty heavy arm to use and we know we should be very wary as citizens and and make sure you know with this follow-up parliamentary commission that the right questions are asked peter grape with us professor of political science mcmaster university as always peter thanks for your time much appreciated be well and you too just to bring you up to date, uh, it looks like the uh, the landscape has changed in Ottawa. Police have moved in. Uh, there's a vast increase in uh, police presence we can see. Uh, and also a key indicator, we saw them deflating the bouncy castle. So uh, no word on the hot tub, but the bouncy castles uh, are being deflated and police are literally moving in and uh, and starting to um, to make arrests and surround people and such. We'll keep you updated on all of that uh, as it continues to progress. Uh, the interim police chief, Steve Belt, earlier on today at about 4.30 in a news conference said that this was be, would be in, imminent and it would be starting. And uh, as uh, snow, heavy snow starts to fall in Ottawa, that's in fact uh, what it appears is happening uh, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of police in yellow jackets uh, moving in and uh, taking people out virtually one by one it appears at this point all right uh, this is going on and while this is going on what does the rest of the world think of us and how does that affect other issues that are brewing including those along the Russia and Ukraine border let's bring in Arl Brown professor of international relations and a senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto and is with us now. Arl, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am. Thank you. 
Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about what's happening along the Russia-Ukraine border, but this is something that is certainly getting worldwide attention in Ottawa. How does that play into uh, these sort of other uh, geopolitical issues that are going on around the world? Is there Does one affect the other in any way? What is happening in Canada is obviously not analogous to the massive systemic repression that Vladimir Putin has engaged in, which included poisoning or killing leaders of the opposition. But be that as it may, the Russians are going to use this to try to highlight what they will call the hypocrisy of the West, that we are condemning repression in Russia, that we are condemning the arrest of opposition leaders or protesters. And they will say, well, when you have protesters in Canada, look, you have introduced the equivalent of a war measures act, the emergency measures, and you are arresting people. So they will try to make the uh, the most of, uh, of this. And uh, undoubtedly, this is part of the overall propaganda used by the Kremlin to try to show that uh, the domestic system uh, of autocracy uh, that uh, Vladimir Putin is uh, running is superior to that of the West. And uh, that uh, criticism whether it is for domestic policies in Russia or foreign policies that Russia pursues, are uh, wrong, that in fact they are hypocritical. Uh, obviously, at this point, we're, we're kind of hearing conflicting reports about what is going on along the border. You know, a couple of days ago, Russia was pulling back. Uh, now Canada is, is sending lethal weaponry and such. What is going on? And, and why the, the, the timing or the toying with this it now? Does it have much to do or anything to do with the timing of the Beijing Olympics? W- what is happening on the ground? We are, in a sense, almost back to the old days of Kremlinology, a kind of reading of tea leaves, of looking at facial expressions and tone of voice from uh, Vladimir Putin and speculating. And I think that misses the big picture of where we are, where we ought to go. And if I may suggest, it would behoove us to just look back a little bit. How do we get here? Because I would... Uh, say that we should never be in this position, the West and Ukraine. And it is not accidental that we got to this uh, stage. And unless we really understand how we got here, it's going to be very difficult to uh, be successful in terms of dealing with this problem. And if I may just say, uh, we got here despite the enormous superiority and power, potential and wealth of the West, of the 30 members of NATO, despite the fact that Russia is, as I've said many times, but a remnant of a superpower that, with the exception of nuclear weapons, is nowhere by any stretch of the imagination a a superpower. But we have not been united. We have not done the basics, that is, to spend adequately on our militaries, that we thought that soft power alone would be sufficient to compensate for the lack of adequate hard power. Whereas in reality, all of these things go together. It's not like some sort of IR theory class where you talk about constructivism and it's ideational and you improve the dialogue and communication and that will resolve the problem. You also have to have deterrence. And what we already have is, in many respects, a failure of deterrence. We have starved Ukraine of defensive armaments. The Obama administration would make the harshest condemnations of Russia 
introduced sanctions, but in fact, it starved Ukraine of defensive armaments. And whereas United States had spent trillions, trillions of dollars, that's thousands of billions in the Middle East and Afghanistan, in many cases where people did not wish to fight for their freedom or they were not uh, organized to do it, in Ukraine, the people have asked for defensive armaments, that they would do the fighting, that they would create the deterrent. So now we have had a massive failure of deterrence. And so what Russia is doing basically is saying to the West, yes, I will negotiate, but I will negotiate with you while I have a gun to your head. Well, you don't have to go into great uh, theoretical details to know that is hardly ever a productive way of doing it. But that is what we're doing. Has the West been naive, specifically Canada, in regard to all this, or, or or all Western countries in the sense we remember, I'm old enough to remember Reagan, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, bring down this wall. Uh, we all thought, you know, 10, 20 years ago that China was the golden goose and we couldn't do enough to stand up and and and, and bow and cater to them and hope that they we would get their investment and such. And now it seems we're in a completely different world now. We are in a different world, but this different world didn't just come about mm-hmm. today. It didn't just come about a month ago. Even this crisis, if you look at it, already by April, May, there were all sorts of indications. Well, Mr. Biden was pleading with Vladimir Putin that after a conversation with a reporter where Mr. Biden acknowledged that Mr. Putin is a killer, then he uh, arranged for a call. And the Russians made a point to uh, make it very clear that Biden asked for that call. So there was a kind of lack of understanding that dialogue is never free. Dialogue is absolutely preferable to conflict. We fail to understand that there is no magic when it comes to deterrence. You actually have to spend the money. You have to make the commitment. You have to make the sacrifices. So take Germany, which has played an incredibly negative and really damaging role uh, in, in this whole whole crisis, and I don't think it's adequately understood. Uh, this is uh, the uh, largest economy in Europe that has, despite warning year after year from United States and from the Eastern European members of NATO, allowed itself to be highly dependent on mm-hmm. Russian natural gas. So where do you think this is going? What do you think this is going, Oral? Where do you what do you think the so- the, the short-term story is here? We only have a few seconds left. This is where uh, why we don't know because if we keep signaling weakness and we are already damaging Ukraine because when you move people out of the embassy and that's understandable you want to safeguard your diplomats, it sends a message of weakness to Vladimir Putin. And the big question is whether we will make Ukraine weak enough that uh, Vladimir Putin will not be able to resist temptation. That's the key problem here. Arl Brown with us, Professor of International Relations and Senior Member of the Monk School of Global Affairs with the University of Toronto, talking about what is going on along the Ukraine-Russia border. Arl, thanks for the update. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We continue to uh, watch Ottawa police slowly start to move in 
um, with the protesters. Earlier on today, uh, about 4.30, the interim police chief flanked by the RCMP, the Ontario Provincial Police and the Quebec Provincial Police uh, announced that the uh, an end would be coming, uh, most thought in 24 hours, but it seems that no, things have started. There is a a much more police, a higher police presence uh, in Ottawa right now. We've seen them take a, a, a person out and, and, and arrest them and such. Uh, but at the other end of the block, they're, uh, they're dancing. And I guess a good sign that it's coming to an end. Uh, I actually saw footage of, of somebody deflating a bouncy castle. No word on the two men in the hot tub. Uh, nobody's seen them go away on the back of a flatbed uh, trailer at, as of this point. And at what time of the, do the, when the police are coming in, do you say, uh, you know, Tim, it's time we get out of the hot tub or at least put our bathing trunks back on? Uh, and obviously the snow, uh, the storm that we're getting or, uh, you know, getting here or going to get, uh, rain pretty much here, but changing to snow anytime now. It's pretty much snow, wet snow in Ottawa. So that's what they're dealing with as, uh, they try to tear this down and, some continue to party on as uh, winter has now hit the city, uh, the nation's capital. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. He's coming up after the 6 o'clock news, and I'm sure he'll have his eyes to this. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing fine, thanks. I guess it's a key, uh, a key signal that something uh, big is going on when we start to see uh, bouncy castles being deflated in the nation's capital. Uh, look, that's the first sign at my house, and we're having a birthday party, and it's over. Down goes the bouncy castle. Time to go home. That's, that's Even before the barbecue getting shut off, the bouncy castle gets deflated. When the uh, parents see the bouncy castle going down, they know it's time to pick up the kids and head home. That's right. Absolutely. So um, your thoughts on, on where we are with this? It, it seems that uh, this is now going to uh, to come to a head, and, uh, and, and nobody seems to be leaving peacefully. Uh, at this point, uh, what are your thoughts of, of how this is going to end? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing, and we're going to be talking about it on the show um, in the uh, or n- nearly right off the top. There's some new polling that's out, um, political polling, not surprisingly, about you know what parties are wh- what the effect. I don't know if you can say what the effect of this has been on the parties, though. I don't know if you can separate what's happening in Ottawa for, and the rest of the country from the parties. And it's really interesting that um, uh, the NDP in this latest polling by Nanos and Nick Nanos from the polling firm is going to be on. The NDP has just taken a giant swan dive. I mean, their numbers are down, down, down. But every other party has gone up. And the one that's really noticeable, the People's Party numbers have gone way, way up. And you look Mm. at this and you say, now, you know, Nick Nanos is going to maybe offer a different explanation in a bit. But you look at this and you say... You can almost see this, that you've got a prime minister who has drawn a line and said some things, and you've now infuriated a segment of the population who may have just skipped right over the Conservative Party and said, you know what, we're so angry with this guy, we're going to the people who are most likely to fight back against the Liberals. And I don't know if that's the interpretation, um, but you you, you look at this and you think there's going to be political fallout from this there's going to be polling and other things that are going to show where people align with this uh maybe this is the first sign maybe this doesn't stick but maybe this is the first sign that you know you've got those who are going to go back and 
you know, cuddle into the warm liberal bosom that they've been in for their whole life and others that are going to say, I'm getting as far away from the Liberal Party as I possibly, possibly can. It seems that the Prime Minister is still refusing to admit that there, uh, that this is any bigger than a fringe movement, that the, he thinks the country is still united, I guess using the vaccination rate to justify that, although I, I don't see how you can use that. Um, is it time for the Prime Minister to take a walk in the snow? That's a good question. No, look, the idea of the fringe party or the fringe group, um, this has always been an interesting one to me because even the polling that showed two-thirds of Canadians were opposed to yeah. the truckers, Yeah, the people who were on the other side still outnumbered those who voted for the Liberals in the last yeah. election. Yeah. So he's he's arguing, essentially, using the same words, that we, the government, are fringe. And I don't think you yeah. would say it that way, but that's... You've it got is. Enough, hey, listen, got listen, Scott, if you think your mission is to get 100% of the Canadian population vaccinated, I'm sorry, you are on the fringe. You are an extremist. You are as wacky an, as an extremist as those that say nobody should be vaccinated. Yet with a 90% vaccination rate, this guy was still hammering home that we got to get everybody vaccinated. It ain't going to happen. Communist China is like three points ahead of us for vaccinating their people. We've got the highest in the world. This is nuts. It, it, it is. There, there Some is of the question. highest. No, no, there is a question, I think, and a legitimate question about what is the number that we are seeking? And, and way back, go back to like the dawn of COVID. And I remember asking this question, couldn't tell you yep. for the life of me who I asked the question of, but yep. I remember asking the question, what's the number of cases that we have to get down to? Do we have to get to zero cases before we can go back to normal life? And the answer was, well, no, of course not, because that's not going to happen in all likelihood. Yeah. But we have to get down to the point where it's the the, what is it, the herd or whatever, where the mm-hmm. overwhelming number are not affected anymore, then we can't. Well, is that not kind of the same thing we're That's talking about here? Exactly. Scott Radley coming up after the 6 o'clock news, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Have a good one tonight, Scott. Thanks for the time. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's a wrap for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the two Wills and thanks to Dave and Lisa for uh, their work in the newsroom as well. As always, we leave it to you, the good CHML taxpaying customer, to have the last word. My name is Randy. I have a poem. Please come home. Dear Freedom Convoy, do not go home. Please come home. Politicians, government, convoy leaders, protesters, please work together so they can come home. Turn that town, Canada's town, into a ghost town. Let history judge all involved well. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.